Thank you everyone for tuning in for, to another episode of Searle Talks. I am super, super excited to uh, have a conversation with a very old friend of mine joining us today from Ghana, Mohamada El Muhajir. Hi, Mohamada. Hi, Nicole. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm like, you know, new country, well, relatively new. And it's just so exciting to kind of connect with people from the past and, you know, to just kind of relive like who I was before the person I am now. So, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, thank goodness for social media, right? Like, I think I started seeing yeah. some of your posts on, on LinkedIn. And I'm just glad that we were still connected on LinkedIn or at some point we reconnected because I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, how yes. is she doing? What is she doing? Where is she? It just took me right back to mm -hmm. like, you know, back in the day and thinking about when we met. And then I was just thinking about like what you were doing back then. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my God, I have to talk to her. So yes. here we are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I've definitely been following you too. I mean, it's just I love seeing like the path and the journey, you know, that we're all taking and the people who just keep building and growing and just, you know, progressing. It's just really inspiring. So girl, you, you keep doing it. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Well, the whole point of doing this podcast is it's really for people to be able to listen to who are people who are pursuing unconventional career paths. I think a lot yeah, of times. Yeah when you're doing that, you don't really have, you don't have a blueprint, you know, and for a good amount of right, it, right. a good amount of the journey, you're, you know, figuring it out um, as you go. You're maybe mm -hmm. looking at um, the path that other, pe uh, other people, maybe you have mentors and you're kind of combining those things to forge your own path. You know what I mean? So, so the reason I'm saying that is I just remember when you and I first met, I was working for the Neptune, working at Star Trek. And mm -hmm. I just remember that was when your name started yeah. to come up. And I'm a young black woman, but back then, like trying to make my way. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be yeah. an A&R. And I used to set up all the meetings, but I used to always want to be in the meeting. We don't think about the impact, but like you as a black woman, see what she's doing and look how important it is. And, yeah. and you know, people respect her and she's making it happen and those are the things mm -hmm. that kind of you just absorb yeah. without even realizing it but you don't realize that it's like making you yeah. feel like oh i can okay i can do this oh yeah i mean as yeah. they say represent representation matters and it's real it it's really real. does i feel like you were one of those people um that had no impact on me back then mm -hmm. so Oh, great. I love getting that feedback. Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> okay. What I always like to do is ask people, mm -hmm. okay, what do you call yourself? Can you tell the audience what it is you do or what you call yourself? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I call myself um, director of strategy, you know, so um, the work that I'm doing is still in marketing, it's still in media, still in communications. Um, but I'm more of a strategist. So I think that is the one of the many things um, that I, but that sort of encompasses all of the things. So I definitely say that, you know, I'm like a brand strategist. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go with that. 
for now. Um, a lot of times I feel like the things that we end up doing when we get older, the things that we're kind of drawn to our reflection of just, you know, it's who we are. And there's like mm -hmm. signs of um, just being interested in those things in our early years. So were there, was there anything that you were doing like coming up with like marketing ideas? Um, I will say 100%, yes. I mean, I grew up in a household. My parents are entrepreneurs. Um, you know, they had their own business. So that was totally normal to me. Um, I remember working at my father's business when I was probably like seven or eight years old. And like, I was the one managing money. You know, people would be like, no, no, wow. let her do it. Let her, let her handle me. You know, like, so it started very, very early for me. Um, and wow. then just in my neighborhood, me and my friends were all, like, we were always coming up with business. It would like snow. I mean, I grew up in Philly. Um, so it would be like snowstorms and we'd be like, let's go shovel snow in the neighborhood and get money. <laughs> we'd be like, let's go rake up leaves and get money. Right. I'm like, normally girls don't even do stuff like that. Right. But we were always, then we'd take the money and go have a pizza party. Right. So I like was always, always thinking in that way. Like okay. it was just normal to kind of have a business. Um, it never was strange or odd um, for me to think in that way. It's actually like, even when I get jobs, I even feel uncomfortable sometimes because I'm used to like being like my own boss or growing up in that way. So I would definitely say, um, yes, it had an impact on me. But I think during in school, I mean, I went to like a very academic high school um, that was like more math and science based. And I, I remember going to a... Um, summer program at the University of Penn that was like for kids who were interested in math or science careers. So I was gonna be like a doctor. I remember this man came, he was a biomedical engineer. Girl, I was like, that is what I'm gonna do. Probably cause he was like this cute Jamaican man that probably had something to do with it. <laughs> but, I love um, it. Uh -huh. I, until I graduated from college, I mean, I went to Howard, I studied microbiology. Um, I was like on this path to become a doctor, right? And then wow. I took what I thought was one year off um, just because I also went to school on a track scholarship and it was just very, very intense, you know, majoring in science and then being an athlete. So I was like, let me just take a year to just kind of like get my mind right. That I moved to New York like a week after college graduation and I was, my minor was communication. So I totally was interested in film and media. So that never changed either. Um, and then I, that one year break became the rest of my life. Wow. Okay. So you know what? I just realized, like, I kind of, I skipped a couple of things. So where did you grow up? Um, okay. So I grew up most of my life in Philly. Mm -hmm. um, I was born in California, actually in the Bay Area, and I lived oh. in Philly from the time I was like five years old. Um, so I grew up in Philly, and then when I graduated high school, I went to college in Washington, D.C. I went to Howard, and then after graduation, I moved to New York, and then I lived in New York for most of my, pretty much all of my like adult life. So yeah. where did your parents Oh, I am like African-American, like Southern roots. I'm, so I'm even more interested as to, yeah. your, as to like your decision behind moving to Ghana. Because I totally yeah. thought that you just like went, your family, right, that like was you home. were from there. Yes. Because you went yeah. to school, you were from there. Yes. Because you went yeah. to school there too, right? right. So that's why I just... Mm -hmm. 
right. Oh, wow. So I had the story all mixed up. Okay. We're going to clear up whatever I had in my mind. <laughs> you grew up in Philly. You went to Howard on a track scholarship, mm-hmm. which is, which is um, I'm sure now as I'm hearing that, that probably, um, I mean, when I met you, you were at Nike. So Mm-hmm. I guess, right. I, I know the whole sports thing. Yeah. A lot of people at Nike are former athletes. So. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm realizing that. Yeah. Because my sister actually works there now. So. Oh, I, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's in design there. So she's mentioned that to me that a lot of like that it's like very much the culture, the athlete yeah. culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah okay. So you so you were kind of, I mean, it seems like you were definitely, you were like multifaceted basically, which I think it always makes it a little bit difficult to decide on like to, to choose that one track in a way, if, if that's even something you feel a need to do. I mean, or you can just, yeah. you know, feed all the things that you're interested in doing, but for you to be a, uh, an athlete, but then also major in microbiology, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. That, I feel like that's not always the same person. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. Like, I know. I was like, who am I really like? I mean, I, um, as I said, my minor was automatically as a microbiology major, your minor is chemistry automatically because you have to take so many chemistry classes. But I was really interested in media even then. And so I made radio, TV, and film my minor, right? Just made it, made it. So I would be like, in like a physics class and then a cinematography class and then go to the track. A lot of people didn't even know that I was an athlete because most athletes, the athleticism, the sport is their life. And me, I was like how I went to school. So I still hung out at parties and was involved in like, you know, the East Coast ruled Howard. So it was like the whole little New York, Jersey, Philly, you know, so there were people who had no idea I even ran track, you know, um, so I had, I definitely have all these things going on and that has kind of played into my life into this point, you know, I'm still that person with like left, right brain, like, yeah. you know, it's still that battle that's happening totally. inside of know sometimes you you feel like okay you kind of need to choose something but then you have this other calling but it's amazing when you can do it all like why do you have to Mm -hmm. choose you know why can't you be someone who's like good at math or and science but also be creative society makes you feel like you have to choose I mean you really don't but that's the way that we're kind of um reared and you kind of like you have to choose whether you're creative or whether you're technical or whatever and really Um, you can do both. And I think in like the modern society that we're in now with like tech startups and things like that, like people are able to kind of like merge some of those interests um, together, which is like, it hasn't always been that way. Very, very true. So true. I mean, you did have to decide on, you know, kind of what your path was going to be or like what you were going to pursue or what sorts of jobs you wanted. So like, what was your, what, what did you decide at that point? Um, Well, like I said, I took what I thought was a year off. Um, Mm -hmm. I came to New York and um, like one summer I had come to New York before and I was like working on music videos. So I started out like just kind of like being a production assistant, working, you know, on videos. Right. But at the same time, I worked in a microbiology lab. (laughs) Like, so it literally did not stop. 
I was like still doing both of these things. I, I just remember like the lab, I don't know where it was, somewhere in upstate New York. I don't know where it was to this day, but I would like be at parties like until like four o'clock in the morning and go home and like change my clothes and go meet these like group of people that we carpooled together and went into the lab and put on like literally one of those like white suits that you see in like movies. And I was like in the lab testing some shit. I don't even know. And oh like, so, and then work on video. Um, so I did that for a while. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. And then, <laughs> um, so I mean, I worked on a ton of videos. Um, I started a casting agency like really early because um, I would be on the set of the videos and like, oh, we need people. Um, I started doing that. I worked on like a, just a ton of videos. And then I worked, um, my first like real, real industry job was um, at the William Morris Agency. Right. Um, so at William Morris, I was an assistant. I wasn't an agent, but you know, you have to know, like, that's the one thing I, t I like to tell people too. Like, even if it's like something you think you want to do, even when I thought I wanted to be a doctor, I went to this summer program at a medical school to see if that was something that I really wanted to do, right? Right. So we, I, right. I do the doctor, and I was like, you know what? The hospital is depressing as hell. Like, like I know you know your life is about six people, people, but it is sad. Like every story, every room you go to is such a sad story. And I was like, wow. But I still was thinking about that. So that being said, uh, when I started working at William Morris, I was like, agency okay let me see what that's about right but after like a year working at an agency I was like hmm I don't know if I want to be an agent <laughs> right I just you know wasn't sure I loved the the training that I got because I feel like you know there's no I know nowadays they have majors that are entertainment industry I don't know how you study for that in university but okay um but so at that time, like working at an agency was just the best way to learn the industry. You know, mm -hmm. uh, William Morris had literary, it had, um, you know, talent that handled actors, and then they had music as well. So I kind of got a chance to really understand the business, the deals, you know what I mean? I just like, I was like, wow, this is like it. This is how you learn it, you know, on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis. Right. And I spent most yeah, I spent most of my time, um, I, I work with some talent agents, but I spent most of my time working um, in the music booking department, um, okay. which was the agent at the time was Kara Lewis, this, you know, notorious, oh, yeah. you know, talent, music yeah. talent agent handle everybody. Yep. Um, and so, um, yeah, understand the business. I mean, I went to Howard, so it's like an entertainment culture you learn very early too, and so many of the players, um, you know, were involved at Howard too. So a lot, even though I was there as an assistant, I knew managers, I knew artists already, you know, it wasn't anything that was strange or weird to me. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so that's when I like really started understanding the business um, when okay. I worked at William Morris. How, how long were you there? And you uh, ultimately ended up, you know, leaving. So what did you have in mind? Like, were you... Did another opportunity come along or did you decide that you wanted to try something else? Well, I, you know what, um, as I said, we started this conversation with like my background as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur growing up in an entrepreneurial home. Um, yeah, I definitely was like, you know what, I need to be an entrepreneur. At the time that I worked at William Morris, there were like two black agents. 
Mm -hmm. One, two, yeah. Like probably like two black agents, um, maybe like two or three black assistants, right? And it's just kind of seemed like, I ain't never gonna be no agent up in here. Like, I ain't got time to be waiting. Like, you know, I, let me just do something else. I mean, if that was where my heart was, I definitely would have stayed there because, you know, I understand I'll put in the work that I don't have any issues with that. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I was trying to like do this little artist management, ta casting talent agency thing. So I was like, well, I got everything I needed from here. I know all the contacts. I know all the agents. I mean, I, I feel like I got what I needed from here. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, yeah, so I kind of moved on and I started, um, I continued with like, you know, as I said, with the um, casting and talent management on a very low scale, but I did probably worked on maybe like 30 or 40 music videos, like, you know, oh, wow. um, Method Man. I mean, like just a ton of videos back in the day and like just, you know, handling the casting for it. And um, yeah, so that, you know, I was doing that. I started working on my documentary. So these uh -huh. are things that I was doing before I even worked at Nike, which, you know, took it to the next level. And really, I always tell my dad, I talk to my dad a lot and um, the marketing, I was like, dad, like everything you taught me, you don't even know it. Like that is like such high level marketing. Like I understand marketing innately. Like I did not take I never went to business school. I never took one business class in my life. Um, but what I understand about marketing, how I understand about customers, it's like I learned everything from the time I was seven years old and that I use wow. that same thing every So um, yeah, like I said, I, so after that, um, I have a friend, my friend Nikita, who actually uh -huh. do my podcast, The Soul Chronicles with, and uh -huh. we met at the William Morris Agency. She was an assistant, I was an assistant. And I was like, who's this black girl, right? Because like I said, there were like literally two right. black assistants. <laughs> yeah. I saw her come one day, I was like, girl, hey girl. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we have literally been friends since then. Um, so anyway, she worked at Nike before me and she was from LA. Okay. And I was like very New York. I was like, so I was like, oh God, I had spent time in LA and I was just like, mm -mm, it's not for me. Right. Um, and yeah. I got, actually, I got a job um, offer at a record label and it was going to mm -hmm. be in LA. And I happened to call Nikita, who she's from LA. So if anybody could hype me on LA, it was going to be her, right? Uh -huh. I was like, I got the job offer, but mm, LA. <laughs> and she was like, girl, because she, she worked at Nike already. And I used to be like, she has the dopest job that I've ever heard of, right? She's mm -hmm. the music marketing manager. So like that job was like, kind of like this using of Nike and the music industry. And I used to be like, what kind of job is that? That is like so amazing. I like, I can't even understand that job, right? Right, right. Um, and when I called her to tell her about this um, record label job, she was like, well, cause she was leaving. Her mom had passed away and she, you know how the entertainment industry is like, it's so not real. I mean, it's real, but like at the end of the day, you're like, this is not real life. And she just was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. So she was like, well, if you're going to come out here for that, you should apply for like my job. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh right. So I was like, hmm, okay. So I like, you know, she was like, send me all your stuff. She was like, I'm not telling the boss that I know you. I don't want her to think I'm trying to hook up my homegirl. You know, I just, you know, just send me your stuff. Wow. So I like, 
Yeah, I sent her all my stuff and I had a phone interview with the director. And, um, you know, the director was like, well, hey, can you come like next week to Oregon um, to do a face-to-face -face interview? And uh -huh. I was like, as I said, everything about my life, it just replicates over and over. It's, it hasn't changed. So I was like, well, actually, I can't. Um, sorry, I thought I had started. I was like, actually, I can't um, come because I'm going to Europe. You know, I was uh, making my, ah. I was um, working on my documentary film at the time, my hip hop documentary. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, no, I can't, I can't come next week because I'm going to Paris on Friday, on, on Saturday. And she was like, well, I guess I'll see you on Friday. So I like, I was wow. Like, oh. Um, wow. You know, God, I like was packing. I was going to Europe for like three weeks. So, you know, okay. it was a serious trip. Um, and then in the middle of that, I had to go to Oregon um, to do this interview. So I, I like went to Oregon. Um, you know, I did the interview. I just came right back the same day. I literally went to Nike campus, got on up and drove back to the airport and came back to New York on a red eye. I got to New York on Saturday morning. I left for Paris on the night. And that, I feel like that energy and that pace became like my life for the rest of like, I don't know, for probably like the next 10 years or something. Um, wow. So while I was in France, they were like, wow. they were like, yeah, so we want to hire you. So I'm like, when are you coming back to America? Can you come back? And I'm like, wait, guys, they like <laughs> sent my offer letter to the hotel in Paris. But they wanted me to come from Europe straight to LA but um I was like guys let me like go home first I was so tired I mean I did some crazy Europe trip that was like France and um Lon uh, Paris London Amsterdam Hamburg Milan like I don't know what the I don't like I don't know I didn't look at the map properly I will say <laughs> because some of those countries were so far apart so I did this like really intense Europe trip and then I, I went home to New York and I stayed for literally like four days. And, and then I went to LA and they were like, um, you can just kind of go back and forth until you sort everything out. I worked at Nike for four years. Um, I worked in, you know, as the music marketing manager, kind of like the liaison between Nike and the music industry, working with the artists, with labels, you know, just kind of like mm -hmm. making sure Nike had a presence um, in the industry, in the music industry, and that we had very strong relationships um, with artists. So that was basically um, the role that I had mm -hmm. and how, how we met. Yes. And how we met. So going to Nike, I mean, I feel like there's just so many um, pieces to that. I mean, number one, as a Black woman in mm -hmm. that role. Um, so how was that for you, like at that time? I mean, that was a really important role like you were basically the bridge between the brand and you know the entertainment industry that's which is a big deal and so how was that yeah how was it like entering that role or the expectation I, I would say this I loved 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 doing the work that I did because you know I understood the marketing side of it um, the industry side it was second nature to me um, so, you know, and I'm just like really creative. I'm going to push the envelope. I mean, um, I even ran my department like I was an entrepreneur. So there was always money left over in my department at the end of the year that the other departments had to take from mine because that's how I thought about it. Um, but yeah, it was very corporate. And, you know, there were not 
a lot of, you know, black people, black women. And then um, I felt like the reason why I understand like marketing to the people that I market to is because I feel like I'm the same as them, right? You know, um, right. I'm young, black, I'm the influencer, you know, and while they're sitting there looking at stats and stuff, I'm like, I'm going to tell you what they like because it's what I like, you know? Right, <laughs> so, right, um, right. Yeah, so, so um, that part was definitely challenging just dealing with like the corporate angle like I wasn't used to like all the corporate politics the office politics you know who you're supposed to be like kissing up to and all that and I was like oh god I don't know how I'm gonna make it right um right and I made it for a while because my friend Nikita was kind of like that bridge like I never like you know the headquarters for Nike is in Oregon and I mm -hmm. never worked in the the belly of it, you know, I worked in LA, which is like a small satellite office. And I worked in New York, which is also a very small satellite office. So I never had to be like deep, deep into like the whole corporate thing, but I still got, you know, a taste of it. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, this is for me, you know, mm -hmm. I love marketing. I love that part of it, but like this whole corporate culture, I was like, I'm not, I can't, I can't do it. And you know, people mm -hmm. are like, you're gonna leave Nike. I'm like, let me tell you something. Nike don't make me. Like, I'm still gonna be good after after that. You know, so I never mm -hmm. worry for for one day. I've never looked back. Um, even up until this time, you know, mm -hmm. like it's something that I did. I even meet people um, who are like, we still talk about you. We still talk about like, you know, the thing, the work that you did and the projects that you worked on. Cause I would just be doing wild shit. Like, I mean, like nothing, no, no one ever did. Right. I mean, and it just so happened that I worked at a company that had big budgets who could put into place the things that I would be thinking right. of. Right? right. So, um, you know, like for instance, like I worked, I started work in August and mm -hmm. then it was going to be like, um, New Year, uh, NBA All-Star Weekend was coming up, right? And, um, you know, I felt like, you know, uh, somebody on Rockefeller would always be coming up like, yeah, we need a deal for Jay-Z and we need y'all to sponsor his, um, his All-Star party, right? And I was like, yeah, I don't think we really do that kind of stuff, but, you know, let me see. And then mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? Um, we need to, we should do something like this, more lifestyle. I just feel like, you know, there should be some lifestyle stuff. And they were like, I was like, let's, let's host this party, you know? And mm -hmm. they were like, okay. Like they were nervous because Nike, like thinking about it, they had never done anything like that before. Wow. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then during that time, Jay-Z had an issue with like the stabbing of, uh, it was like this whole thing. And I'm like, I just oh got this God. company to say yes to sponsor your party. Now you're all over the news, like stabbing right. somebody. I was like, <laughs> ah. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was like a disaster, but I ended up, um, I talked to Kevin Lyles, who was the president of Def Jam. And I was like, hey, mm -hmm. listen, I've got everything. They agreed to pay for this whole party. Can we just like do this with Def Jam? It was supposed to be with like Jay-Z. And he mm. was like, yeah. Yeah, like this is a whole <laughs> um, Yeah, and, and it just so happened, like me personally, like I did events, like in New York, I would just always like throwing parties and not even like, you know, like nightclub party kind of parties, but like brand kind of things. Next, like I was mm -hmm. always doing something. So I like planned the whole party. Like they had an events department. I was like, no, mm -mm. just let me handle this. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And so I kind of like planned the event and mm -hmm. um, it, 
it was like really it was just like huge i mean it was nike we had all the athletes and def jam had all the artists so you know it's that's gonna crazy. Be crazy right um, so so that was like I, that was within six months of me working at nike like that's wow. so that was like the first, like yeah it was just like mm-hmm. just such a huge thing um and then the next year they were like okay all-stars coming again what are we gonna do now <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, so right. um, I definitely infused like, that whole idea of lifestyle culture, but because uh-huh. I'm a business person at the same time, I never forget that. So I'm always looking at like, what is the bottom line? Um, how can we uh, inspire sales? You know, I mean, I think about it like very much 360. So, uh-huh. um, you know, I would definitely say that's one of like my legacies um, that I left at Nike. Even time now, when I see them throwing parties and doing events, I'm like, yeah, um, yeah. And then even right. just the whole sneaker design collaboration with Kanye right. and um, Travis Scott, like all these people, you know, that's like when I work with you, like we were doing sneaker design which it had never been done before right we were doing them we did one with Eminem with um Pharrell with um Nelly and like a couple other people but this was like very early like they weren't even it was so early it was so So early when you were doing this yeah and I feel like everyone is you know it's something that so many people are kind of talking about these days I mean it's obviously sneaker culture is is huge but there's so many more platforms now for people to you know have these conversations about collaborations and what all the different brands are doing and all these things and I'm just like I I literally when I was thinking about you being on the podcast I'm like Muhammad was doing this like from day I mean you were you know like at the forefront of it so I'm like you need to be in these conversations you know (laughs) like all these clubhouse conversations where you have all these people from like five years ago talking about and I'm like no 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 this was like they're like yeah the first whatever and then they're talking about something from like a streetwear brand from five years ago and I'm like no 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 let's get to like the root of this like y'all need to have the right people up here so because yeah you were really doing that like I like early on like you saw that you saw the importance of lifestyle that, you know, like sneakers were also a lifestyle, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, or like sneaker culture is a lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and at that time, like Nike wasn't giving any money to artists, you know? I mean, that was a big thing because, you know, there are people like, I mean, Jay-Z like talked about Nike a lot in his music and he's Mm -hmm. like, I should be getting a check. Right. But I can't do that. Right. You know, and Pharrell's like, I'm gonna make dunk pot. True, but I can't give you a check for that, right? So, I mean, we were always looking for ways on how we could collaborate with artists. Mm. And even when we did those first sneakers, they were like, all the proceeds went to charity. Like they still weren't making money from. So it was just for like street cut that I'm mm-hmm. the first person to do this like Nike, you know, shoe, but it still wasn't to the point of the deals that artists are doing now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and definitely like just looking, you know, I have just like an eye and a heart for talent. So I'm like, there were people like even on the Pharrell project, like somebody at the company was like, um, yeah, I think we should do a shoe with Lenny Kravitz. And I'm like, Lenny Kravitz don't wear sneakers, <laughs> right? A shoe and with like, Lenny, does he wear? Know, I don't think I've ever right, seen him right. in a pair of sneakers. Right. And so literally every single artist. Or that, shoes. <laughs> right. 
that's what I can say. I was like, does he wear shoes? Like, dude. Like, I'm trying to imagine him right now. I'm like, what shoes am I seeing? Like, boots, right. cowboy boots, or like, yeah, or, or barefoot or something. Right. I don't know. Um, so, so, um, you know, and we talked, you know, we started this conversation about representation, but I think that was key, just understanding who's who and who's hot. Like, like I was just always on that pulse. And I was like, and every artist that I did projects with, like, they don't know, like how you have to fight for them internally. Like, I would be like, Rob, right. can you send me um, Pharrell's press kit? Like, you know, I'm like, I had to be up in here doing presentations on why these right. people are relevant. Like, can you imagine the people now? But like, you know, at that time I had to like be like pushing for them. Like, no, this is the person. And then to see how people are still culturally relevant all these years later, I'm yes. like every single person that we did kind of did collaboration with, you know, it's like, they, they were the ones, they were the ones. Can you tell me a little bit about like, okay, what were some exciting deals you did? And then how did the Pharrell one come together? Yeah, so what happens is there are a lot of times like people, you know, it wasn't just him. I did a lot of work with Eminem at the time. I did a lot of work with, um, with like, you know, Method. And there are, there are people who I was close with who always looked out, who always wore our stuff um in their videos you know what I mean who really looked out and so those are the people who I kept in a in a mental short list right so if mm -hmm. I get an opportunity whether it's for a commercial or it's for anything that they can actually get paid I'm gonna keep those people in mind right, right. so um I feel like um you know Eminem was definitely one of those people I mean he there was never a point that you didn't even see him not wearing Nike and he was not getting paid like people would think these artists were getting paid by their brand but they absolutely were not so if we found an opportunity would do a shoe partnership or something then those are the people I'm gonna you know look out for um mm -hmm. and I feel like um like when I first like met like Pharrell and those guys they were like we we have this song and we want it to be in a Nike commercial and I'm like whoa whoa it doesn't work like that like <laughs> They come to me and tell me when they have a project, like I can't like push them into a direction. So there were times like I worked very close with Nike's advertising agency, which was called Wyden and Kennedy. Yeah. Um, and they, they, so they, they work close with me because they knew I could always tell them who's the hot people that they should be working with. Mm -hmm. And I also had the relationships with the artists. So they didn't have to go. I know you worked at a publishing company, but they could like, kind of like go around the whole publishing thing and like call me so I can call the artists themselves and say, hey, I have this opportunity. So um, that's kind of like how the, some of those projects um, turned out. And then um, the sneaker collaborations. And I also did a lot of other stuff just because my personal interests were like in art and culture. So there are times that I, you know, I have a friend who's a graffiti artist. He got an opportunity to go to Taiwan to do a wall. Like I was like always, my whole thing is I'm like, my the people that I know in my circle are just as smart if not or more talented than the people who are here so mm -hmm, anytime mm -hmm. I got an opportunity to like look out for the whole crew like I feel like everybody in my crew got a check from Nike for something <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that's the thing because you were that's why you were able to do the job and let and let folks at Nike know like you know what what was hot or what was going on or what was like on the pulse because you're not looking from the outside, like you're in it. Like this is your, this is your world. You know what I mean? You're not like looking at, you know, uh, a mood board. You know, it's like you're right. like on, you're on the mood board. You and your friends right, are on the mood, mood board. board. Right. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. I know. I mean, I just know because I know how that is. You know what I mean? Where people are like, so this is what's apparently going on out there. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you because like I'm actually there. And that's like my friend. Yeah. Is, you know, so yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. Yeah. To have people yeah. who are in it, in the, you, you want to connect with a certain, you know, demo or you want to connect with the culture. So you have to have people who are of the culture there right, to right. inform you. Yeah, not you know, there's always going to be a little, there's always going to be like a little misstep when you don't have people, yeah. when you still have people who are like observers of the culture, you know what I mean? Spectators, yeah. I should say. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I still think a lot of people don't get that. You know what I mean? Right. Like they don't understand how important um, that really is to do that. So um, yeah, no, it's key. Is key. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like they don't get it because they still don't know what it is. For companies, they don't know what they don't, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know how to identify, right. you know, certain people because they don't, they yeah. haven't really been like in that. They haven't experienced that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. Right. And then I find that sometimes you, um, and I know you know what I'm talking about. They'll think they have the right people at some of the companies and you'll see them. And you'll be like, like that person is not it yeah because those people know how to talk their way into the job they know how to say the right things they look they look the part according to those people Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. because they again Mm -hmm. they don't know the difference and you're looking like how did that person end up there oh right yes trust and believe i've seen it many a time while you were at uh nike you well i wanted to i was going to use kind of like the pharrell uh collaboration um as like an example because obviously that's when you and i met and it's funny because you were talking about wyden and kennedy and i remember when they were working on that um they were working on i think music for they did a commercial a commercial yes, that's right they, and it was yes, like they did so music for adam i just remember that process because i kept having to like set up the calls and it was like a very surgical process. I just remember it, it got very, it was very tedious. Well, it got done, yeah. It was, um, they did music for, um, for um, an, ad, an ad campaign in Europe, for Nike Europe. Yeah, so it, it definitely turned into wow. um, a, a big project. Um, yeah. Yeah, so those are the kind of things that I work, you know, that I, I worked on, um, you know, when I was there um, getting, music and artists for ad campaigns, music artists. I was like, we were like um, in-house music booking agency. I had to like book artists for events and yeah, it was just anything music related. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was that person and um, I, like it, the energy and the whole vibe of me working there changed because um, Nikita actually did leave. You know, she became, she was trying to quit but she be, ended up becoming the associate director of entertainment marketing. Um, and then there came a point when she just left the company. When she left the company, some woman came who was like real corporate vibes. I don't think she had ever worked with black people ever in her life. Mm. And I was like, this is about to be a disaster and Ooh. I got to exit stage oh, left. No. And then at what point were you, you were working on, you, so when you had gone to Europe, you were also working, was that when you were working on your documentary about hip hop? Is that what you went to Europe to work on? Yeah, so that was, yeah. Okay. It, it was, it was. I mean, so that was like an independent project. So I kind of like ended up working on that 
for a while, you know, mm-hmm. like how indie films are. And I would like work and then I like travel and film some and then I come back. So it took me like a period of probably like three years that I was filming. And I went over that period of time. I, I mean, I went to like um, seven or eight, seven, I think different countries. And I was Amazing. like, just exploring how hip hop had impacted youth culture. I mean, I was just really fascinated about that, just growing up, you know, as a part of hip hop culture. Um, And I just remember like, I don't know, 90s or something being in clubs in New York. I mean, like hardcore clubs, like the tunnel or something. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, there would be like Japanese kids with like dreadlocks and Timberlands and gold teeth. And I was like, what is going on? This, it was like, so fascinating to me and I just uh-huh. I needed to like understand it um and then just for like hip-hop kids black kids I'm like y'all don't know like the impact that you guys are having like globally like mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that just was the inspiration for, for doing the documentary and as I said I told you from the beginning I studied like film at Howard but like you know as a minor but I still was something that I was like really interested in to this day I still work on film stuff like I'm mm-hmm. right now today I was working on a proposal for like a video to, to shoot a video for someone so it's mm-hmm. still just like a part of you know what I do um mm-hmm. but yeah so I I, I I worked on this um documentary about hip-hop culture and I I went to shot it in Europe and um, in Japan and Cuba and South Africa and Brazil and it was just like my own little independent project like friends would give me buddy passes like it was so guerrilla style somebody told me like that was like that was the first international hip-hop documentary and I was like really okay who knew um and you know I it didn't like it was so underground but still like um a lot of professors at universities who are studying like anthropology and ethnomusicology I didn't even know that was a thing right mm-hmm. but they will contact me and like say they want to use this film in their class so like wow. I have gone to like Harvard and Oxford and all these That's like incredible. universities to like show this and discuss this because yeah it, it is because like now at this point all the artists who are in my documentary are like the major OGs like in their respective countries wow um, and like I was there like pulling out the camera out of like my purse <laughs> amazing it was like so did you like gorilla I'd be like did you have like a crew like how many people would you travel with when you were shooting no girl there was no by yourself there was no crew oh my god it was me and this camera so you ended up moving to Ghana so what made you decide that you wanted to go to school in Ghana and how did you go about making that all happen and how was the transition Okay, so I was like, as I said, I like, I just felt inside of me that like Africa is the future. And I was like, I need to go see, I need to go like see what this is all about. And I really wanted to go to Nigeria. I don't know why, but everybody, like all my Nigerian friends, like I knew a bunch from London and stuff. And they were like, girl, no. And I was like, really? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, okay. I was like, fine then I guess I'll go to Ghana because those were choices because they they spoke English, right? I mean, like my French is real basic. So I was like, let me not look at Francophone Africa. Uh Um, And then I looked at some 
universities that didn't require me to take like whatever GRE or whatever test you have to take for grad school. Um, mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up Ghana. Like I was like, this is my choice because I can't go to Nigeria. I, first of all, I feel like after going to Nigeria, I would have been okay, but I didn't go. Um, okay. And so okay. I ended up in Ghana and I did like a semester. I was, I was in Ghana for like five months. Mm -hmm. um, doing this international relations. That's what, that's what I was studying, international relations. And um, it was like a really interesting for me because, you know, I've been working in an entertainment industry and I did not know what was happening in the world. I would just say this, like they were talking about stuff like the global South and the global North. And I was like, why do they keep talking about the South? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. God, it, but it just really helped me like my perspective on the world and understanding mm -hmm. what's happening globally and hearing about the EU and the just like it just it was really helpful um and then I came I didn't actually even do the full program I came back to New York and I got accepted to go to the new school because I was like I don't have access to resources and books and let me just go back to New York right and so, <laughs> okay um, I can't wait. I can't. Can I just? I know you don't want to talk years, but I kind of feel like we, we need to talk about when, because this was not this was not last year when everybody no. went to Ghana. Oh, this was God. not two years ago when you know the, within the last three years when Afrobeat like popped right. off in the world. No, like this no. was. I'll, I'll talk years. This yes. was this was two thousand and three. This was okay. two thousand and three. Okay, I need yeah. everyone to hear this. Two thousand three. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 